thousand generations of Jedi Knights and Guardians of Peace, Justice, Welcome back to A People's History of the Old Republic, Episode 8.1, The Lost Tribe. Last time we finished Swotor up and popped the bubble. This time we give you more Lost Tribe of the Sith than you can shake a stick at as we cover all of their stories in one episode. I'm Luke, that's Kelsey, and there's always a bit of truth in Legends. Welcome to Series 8, which covers The Lost Tribe of the Sith, a collection of stories written by John Jackson Miller between 2009 and 2012. The Lost Tribe's history in the Old Republic is chronicled in nine ebooks and a single five-issue comic arc, and we're going to cover that all in this episode. We'll do some meta-analysis for The Lost Tribe and then discuss all of Miller's stories. Long-time listeners may recall that we have briefly visited The Lost Tribe in episode 3.1, but we only talked about the first four ebooks at that time, which covered 5,000 to 4975 BBY. Instead of trying to link back to that episode, we're going to consolidate The Lost Tribe into this one episode and cover everything at once. Yes, we will obviously have to retread the first four books, but it's better than asking you to remember something we originally covered in our fifth episode, especially since that episode was released in March 2019, which might as well have been the Middle Ages, given how long 2020 has been. So we're going to start with the meta and an overview of the series, then cover the content in order, starting way back at 5000 BBY. Now, without further ado, let's talk about this confusing morass of stories that literally don't have any bearing on the wider galaxy whatsoever. It's not filler if you have to cover it. I mean, it might be, but you still have to cover it. Meta. The Lost Tribe of the Sith was introduced in 2009 as a prequel to Fate of the Jedi, a nine-novel series released between 2009 and 2012 and set in 43 ABY. Fate of the Jedi involves Luke Skywalker and the New Jedi Order's fight with a dark side entity known as Abeloth who rescues the Lost Tribe of the Sith from their isolation to serve as her army. Thus, John Jackson Miller's ebooks and comic series were created to give the Lost Tribe context, context and backstory within the universe. People would obviously ask how a random group of Sith survived for that long and why we've never heard of them. So while the Fate of the Jedi series told the story in the New Republic era, Miller's Lost Tribe told the background in the Old Republic era. Between 2009 and 2012, nine Lost Tribe ebooks and one comic arc were published. The first 80 ebooks vary in length from 25 to 35 pages each, while the final is much longer coming in at 128 pages. These tell the story, these tell the origins of the Lost Tribe of the Sith and their survival and existence for thousands of years on a secluded world called Kesh that they couldn't escape. Basically, everything that happens in the Lost Tribe stories occurs in a vacuum because they can't leave and no one knows they are there. Those ten total stories take place at various times throughout the Old Republic era, including 5,000, 4985, 4975, 3960, 3000, 2975, and 2974 BBY. So we'll be moving around the timeline a bunch. 
it's obviously a thin veneer to retcon in some backstory, but it also provides us with an interesting look at how the Lost Tribe of the Sith evolved in much different ways from their counterparts elsewhere in the galaxy. This is a theme that will come back in a, in a big way when we get to the new Sith Wars in Series 9. The Lost Tribe are the second of the three branches of the Sith after the main line we're familiar with in the true Sith Empire of Swotor. Because they exist in a vacuum on Kesh, the Lost Tribe develops a much different hierarchy and has drastically different interpretations of the Force, the force and the Dark Side. There aren't any Darths on Kesh, just a medieval hierarchy that evolves alongside the Lost Tribe. As far as we know, none of the Lost Tribe info has been canonized, and it is unlikely it ever will be, though there's always a chance they end up as an Easter egg of some kind. We will start by doing a quick location profile of Kesh, and then plow through these 10 stories. Location Profile, Kesh. Created for Lost Tribe, Kesh is a world in wild space in the farthest western reaches of the galaxy, past hut space. It is uncharted and unknown to the wider galaxy because of the strange magnetic field that surrounded Kesh. The magnetic field made hyperspace travel nearly impossible and stopped all communication from leaving the planet. It also wrecked havoc on spacecraft controls and instrumentation. The world itself is composed of large oceans with three separate island continents in the, war in the planet's southern hemisphere. Alansiar is the largest, while Keshtah was the most populous. The third continent, Eshkren, is mostly frozen and located at the South Pole, with only sparse inhabitants. When the Lost Tribe stories begin, the three continents are not in contact with one another, and most don't even know there are other land masses on Kesh. The Northern Hemisphere was almost totally unexplored. Kesh was home to many different types of fauna and a native purple-skinned species of humanoids who developed their own culture and society in isolation. Before the events of Lost Tribe began, Kesh had only been visited by outsiders one other time. Sometime around 69,000 BBY, nice, Remulus Drepa and a cadre of followers departed the fledgling Sith Empire to take revenge on the Jedi following the end of the Hundred Year Darkness. Drepa and his followers were pursued by Jedi through hyperspace, with the fight knocking each ship out of hyperspace and onto Kesh. On the planet, the surviving Jedi and Sith battled, devastating parts of the world and killing many native Kashiri people. Eventually, the destruction was so bad that even Drepa's Sith followers turned on him, locked him in an elaborate stasis casket known as an Obliette, and made peace with the Jedi. The two groups moved to Eshkreen, the frozen continent at the South Pole, and formed their own force sect called the Doomed. This event became known as the Great Calamity, and it has profound consequences for later generations. By the time Lost Tribe of the Sith begins in 5000 BBY, nearly 1900 years later, the native Kashiri have forgotten all about the Great Calamity and the Doomed. Just so we're clear, this planet is known as Kesh, spelt K-E-S-H, and should not be confused with Quesh, spelt Q-U-E-S-H, which appeared in SWOTOR. It's only a problem if you pronounce them like me. I just call them both Kesh. I don't know why. Lost Tribe of the Sith, Precipice, written by John Jackson Miller, published in 2009. 
Originally, we were going to include old audio from episode 3.1, where we covered the first four ebooks, but we've changed format and scripting style, style so drastically since then, we decided to just redo them now. It is to be expected since that was about 75 episodes ago. Regardless, let's talk about the Lost Tribe. Precipice is set in 5000 BBY just after Naga Sadao launched the Great Hyperspace War. Sadao dispatched two ships to mine lignin crystals to be used in creating advanced lightsabers. These ships, the Omen and the Harbinger, mined the crystals but were attacked by a Jedi ship and attempted to flee via hyperspace. However, the Harbinger was damaged and slammed into the Omen while they were jumping to hyperspace. This knocked the Omen out of hyperspace above a world, ab- above an unknown world, while the Harbinger was somehow knocked into a wormhole and transported forward in time to 41 ABY. Yes, that is actually what happened. No, it's not worth getting into any more than that. Still in 5000 BBY, the Omen crashes on Kesh, an unknown and uncharted world with a strange magnetic field. Before the attack and crash, the Omen had a crew of about 350 members of the Sith Empire, including humans, members of the Sith, members of the pureblood Sith species, and Masasi warriors, a subspecies of the pureblood Sith. Some died in the crash, and things only got worse from there. While hospitable to flora and fauna, the planet's atmosphere killed off all the Masasi due to a genetic abnormality not found in the wider pureblood Sith species. By the end of the first day on Kesh, at least 75, of the, 75 members of the crew are dead. The Omen's Captain, Yaru Korsin, is a lower caste human Sith Lord, but still a slave under Sadao. As we will see, the Sith caste system will remain a big issue for the Lost Tribe for thousands of years. The day after the crash, Yaru ascends to the Omen crash site near the top of a nearby mountain to scavenge for supplies and transmit a distress call. However, his brother, Devor Corson, is already there. Devor was was always jealous of Yaru, wanting control of the ship, and after getting high on spice, engaged his brother in a tense lightsaber duel. After a protracted struggle, Yaru was able to throw Devor to his death from a cliff edge. However, a cashier woman named Adari Val witnessed the duel from her Uvek, a flying mountain beast of burden, before flying away. Before descending the mountain, Yaru notices that the comms transmitter has been destroyed, either purposefully or as a result of the crash. Later in the makeshift village, Yaru sees Sila and Jariad Corson, Devor's wife and newborn son, respectively. Sila knows what happened to her husband, but neither openly speaks of Devor's death. Yaru tells the group they must wait for help because they have no means of contacting the outside and lies about the circumstances of Devor's death. Meanwhile, Sila Corsin bides her time, waiting for the right moment to strike back against Yaru and get revenge for her husband's death. The Lost Tribe of the Sith, Skyborn, written by John Jackson Miller, published in 2009. Whereas Prespice tells how the Sith crashed on Kesh, Skyborn introduces us to the purple-skinned humanoid Kashiri people. Skyborn is said in 5000 BBY and opens the day before the Omen crash lands on Kesh on the continent Keshta. We find that the Kashiri are a highly religious people believing that Kesh and its, inha- and its islands were created after a duel between two deities, the Skyborn and the other side. 
though many still worshipped an older pantheon made up of the protectors and destructors. Most Kashiri adhere to one of these religious customs, but some are beginning to question the old ways and are shunned as a result. These old religious norms are reinforced by the hereditary nobles of Kesh, known as the Nesh Tovar. Kashiri society is based on a highly stratified caste system with the Neshtavar holding all the power. Adari Val is a geologist and member of the Neshtavar who is branded a heretic by the Kashiri for teaching that Kesh's islands were formed by planetary volcanism and not the orthodox Kashiri creation myth. The religion is so deeply embedded that even Adari Val's mother feels no sympathy for her daughter, though she is concerned for Adari's two small children, Tona and Finn. In the Kashiri capital city of Tav, Adari is summoned to a public heresy trial where she defends her assertions about volcanoes. However, the proceeding was interrupted when a loud crash was heard in the mountain above Tav. Believing that Adari's heresy had brought judgment upon, down upon them, the Kashiri formed a lynch mob. Adiri left Tona and Finn with her family and fled on her loyal Uvak to investigate the crash. After hours of searching, Adari Val found the omen's crash site, arriving in time to see Yaru Korsin push his brother off a cliff. The next night, Adari is ambushed by Sith while investigating fires near the crash site. Val is rescued by Yaru Korsin, who remembered seeing her flying on the Uvak after Devor's death. Adari is kept as a prisoner but given medical treatment and comfort by Yaru, who has become the group's leader. Adari and Yaru form a friendship and introduce one another to their customs and society. Yaru then learns of the Kashari religious customs and the legend of the Skyborn, a prophesied savior who will rescue the Kishari from their troubles. After some time, Adari convinces Yaru that she poses no threat and leaves to act as emissary for the Sith amongst the Kashiri. A week later, Val returns with members of the Neshtovar who are awed by Sith technology and use of the Force. The Neshtovar take these as signs that the Sith are the fulfillment of the Skyborn prophecy and begin worshipping them as gods. Adari is hailed as the daughter of the Skyborn and given exalted status among the Kashiri. The Sith, meanwhile, move into Tav, displacing the Nestovar as the top rung of society. The Sith believe this will be temporary until the omen is repaired. Days later, Adari finally confesses to Yaru that she saw him drop his brother over the cliff. Yaru explains that it was an act of self-defense and that the Sith do not consider murder of this type to be evil. In order to induce Adari to keep the secret, Yaru reveals that Adari is Force-sensitive and agrees to teach her to wield the Force. Adari soon regretted allying with the Sith Haver and began looking for ways to undermine Yaru. All the while, Sila Corson bides her time, waiting for the perfect time to take her revenge on Yaru. The Lost Tribe of the Sith, Paragon, written, in, written by John Jackson Miller and published in 2010. Paragon jumps forward 15 years in the timeline to 4985, and the story remains centered on the continent Keshtah. In that time, the Sith have realized there is no way to escape Kesh and have begun imposing their will on the Kishiri people, fundamentally remaking society in 15 years. 
Kesh has little metal to be used for starship construction and its strange electromagnetic properties ground almost all starships and frustrate attempts to broadcast communications off the world. The Sith now rule Kesh and the Kashiri are... The Sith now rule Kesh and, and the Kashiri and are revered as the Skyborn, having both literally and figuratively displaced the Neshtavar nobility and taken over their former palaces. By this time, the Lost Tribe has enslaved most of the Kashiri, using them as manual labor and uh, using them for manual labor and other tasks. Despite their mutual and private disdain for one another, Yaru and Sila Corson married to secure an alliance between the factions of the Sith and have since produced a child. Adari Vol serves as the ambassador to the Sith and works as a go-between for the Sith and the Kashiri. For many years, Adari has been Yaru's Sith apprentice, though this is kept a secret. In 4985, Sila begins to implement her plan to kill Yaru in revenge for Devor's death and commit genocide against the remaining the 57 remaining members of the purebud Sith left in the Lost Tribe. Sila hates the purebuds pureblood Sith after being enslaved by Ludo Kresh, a pureblood Sith, back in the Sith Empire. Sila also intends to murder Adari Vol, who she believes is having an affair with her husband. Sila had also developed a rivalry with the leader of the purebud Sith on Kesh, known as Ravalon. Feeling that Sila will strike against the pureblood Sith swiftly, Ravalon attempts to engineer a sign that will spur the Sith to leave Kesh permanently. However, Ravalon's plan went horribly wrong. He was attempting to poison a small well of water, but the poison spread out of control, entering the main water for the surrounding villages, causing the deaths of 18,000 Kashiri, Sith, and animals. Oops. Ravalon attempted to cover up the incident, but Sila found out and recognized the method used to poison the water. Soon, other towns got the bad water, and even more people and livestock died as a result. By now, it looked like a mysterious disease was spreading across the lands, and Sila used Ravalon's carelessness as a reason to massacre all the pureblood Sith. Sila and her followers allowed Yaru to find evidence of Ravalon's initial involvement and then implicated the other pureblood Sith in the spread of this mysterious disease. Seeing this supposed evidence, Yaru ordered the deaths of all 57 pureblood Sith on Kesh, much to his wife's delight. Later, the Kashiri resistance movement meets in secret, led by Tilden Ka and Adari Vol. Over the past 15 years, Vol had grown disillusioned with the Sith and their brutal subjugation of her people and lands. Adari regretted her actions and began leading the resistance movement. Adari and Tilden note that Sila has underestimated their numbers and they will use that overconfidence to their advantage. As Paragon ends, Tilden agrees to accept a job working with Sila to get more information for the Resistance. The Lost Tribe of the Sith, Savior. Written by John Jackson Miller, published in 2010. Savior takes place in 4975, 25 years after the Omen crashed on Kesh. It takes place predominantly on Keshtah, but we are introduced to the other main continent and island, Alansiar, at the end of the story. After 25 years on Kesh, Yaru Korsen and most of the Lost Tribe have accepted that they're never getting off the planet. 
Yaru has taken the title of Grand Lord and is planning a massive celebration for the 25th anniversary of their crash. In the meantime, Yaru and Sila's daughter is 20 years old and has been trained in the dark side by her father. Meanwhile, Adari Vol still feigns loyalty to the Sith, but has recruited many new members of the Kashiri Resistance. Even members of the Neshtavar have, uh, are joining the Resistance efforts after the right to ride Uvox was taken away and reserved solely for the Sith. Recently, hatred of uh, Adari's hatred of the Sith intensified still further following the death of her son during a construction accident. As always, Sila Corson plans to take revenge on Yaru for the murder of her husband and stall her and divorced son, Jariad, as the new Grand Lord. Prior to the celebration, Sila enacted her plan, luring, luring Yaru to the Sith Temple built at the site where the Omen crashed. There, Yaru was encircled and forced into a lightsaber duel with his stepson, Jariad. However, the Kashiri resistance used this moment to steal the Uvax station to the Sith Temple, which caused enough of a ruckus to break up the duel between Jariad and Yaru. Adari Vol planned to have even more Uvax as air support for her rebellion, but their plan was betrayed to Nita Corson, the daughter of, Yaru, of Yaru and Sila. Instead, instead, Nita Corson flew with her fellow Skyborn Rangers to aid Yaru and crush the rebellion. A massive battle occurs at the Kesh Sith Temple as Yaru and his allies attempt to fend off a coup by Sila, Jariad, and their followers, and an attempted servile uprising by the Kashiri resistance. Yaru fights valiantly, but takes deep lightsaber slashes across his chest, slowing him greatly as Jariad comes in for the kill. But it was not to be as Nida Corson and her Skyborn Rangers arrive just in time to turn the tide of battle. Nida stopped Jariad from killing their father, and the two half-siblings dueled on the cliffs outside the temple. Nida prevailed and threw Jariad off the mountainside, killing him in the same manner as his father, Devor, 25 years before. Near the temple entrance, Yaru's oldest and best bodyguard, Gloyd, fought to the bitter end but decided to kill as many enemies as possible on the way out. Gloyd activated a thermal detonator, killing himself and many of Jariad's followers in the process. The blast also maimed Sila, leaving her unable to walk but still alive. In the aftermath, Nida Corson said a tearful goodbye to Yaru, who died on the mountain where the omen had crashed 25 years before. With Yaru's last act, he proclaimed Nida as the Grand Lord and then died in his daughter's arms. At long last, Nita Corson found Sila dying in the entrance to the Sith Temple. Nita taunted Sila by discussing how she killed Jariad and refused to give Sila the mercy of a quick death. Instead, Nita had the entrance to the Sith Temple closed up, leaving Sila to die of hunger or thirst or infection, whichever came first. In the chaos of the battle, Adari Val and her Kashiri resistance fled the continent Kesta and started a new life on the nearest continent, Alansiar. The trip was arduous, and of the thousand who fled, only 300 survived the voyage across the vast oceans. On Alansiar, Adarival determined to free her people from the lost tribe's clutches or die trying. She died. The Lost Tribe of the Sith Purgatory, written by John Jackson Miller and published in 2010, 
Purgatory brings us to brings us to our first big time jump in the Lost Tribe stories as it moves forward 1015 years to 3960 BBY. Purgatory begins to incorporate plot points from Miller's other Star Wars works as we meet a member of of the Jedi Covenant, a splinter sect of the Jedi created for the KOTOR comics. If you're interested in the Covenant, check out episodes 4.1 to 4.9, which cover the KOTOR comics, also written by John Jackson Miller. After the events of Savior, Nita Corson led the Lost Tribe until her death in 4896, and would later be viewed as their greatest leader. However, her only child predeceased Nita, and so the succession system based on heredity, based on heredity was scrapped for one ostensibly based on merit. Following the death of the Grand Lord, the seven High Lords of the tribe would vote on a new leader. While this might sound like a merit-based system, the seven High Lords are just the leaders of the seven most powerful Sith families. For many years, the human Sith who survived the crash of the Omen were a, ca- a case unto themselves, totally removed from the Kashiri. However, at some point between Savior and Purgatory, a, humans, a human Sith led a rebellion to overthrow the Grand Lord. After it failed, he and his family were placed into sa- slavery, which eventually led to interbreeding between the Kashiri and human Sith. This process lasted for years, eventually creating a class of mostly human yeoman slaves between the Force-sensitive human Sith at the top and the non-human enslaved native Kashiri people at the bottom. I'm sure this is incredibly interesting. Though Grand Lord Nidu Corson attempted to ensure peaceful transitions of power, the system began to break down over the years as the High Lords grew more fractious. In 3960, this all came to a head when the red and gold factions of High Lords installed an elderly woman named Lelia Venn, or Lelia Venn, I, I guess, as a placeholder Grand Lord. Venn, however, had other ideas and attempted to entrench herself in the role. If history has taught us anything, it's that placeholder grandlords tend never to be actual placeholders. Days later, a botched assassination attempt on Ven was blamed on the Katai family and their allies. Two high lords were executed, and Kandra and Ori Katai were forced into slavery for their supposed crimes. In the blink of an eye, Kandra and her daughter Ori had gone from wealthy nobles to slaves. Kandra was placed into servitude in Tav, while Ori fled, fearing for her life. Ori made for a remote village to find Jelf Marion, a slave who lived on the farmstead and developed high-quality fertilizer for local farmers, or the Good Shed. Having previously met and hit it off, Jelf took Ori into his small home and aided her in this time of need. The two quickly developed feelings for one another. A few days later, some of Lilia Venn's lackeys found Ori Katai while Jelf was away. The two goons took Ori's lightsaber as slaves were forbidden to hold such status symbols by local sumptuary laws. After they left, Ori unleashed her rage, accidentally tearing Jelf's small farmstead apart. In doing so, Ori uncovered a still-working starfighter buried under Jelf's land. Ori recognized the ship as a means for the Katai family to regain their status, as the Lost Tribe had been looking for ways off Kesh for over a thousand years. Ori left and traveled to... Tav to report this discovery while Jelf returned to his home. Finding the place a mess, Jeff realized that Ori discovered his starfighter. It is only then that we learn that Jelf Marion is actually a former member of the Jedi Order and a member of the Covenant, a secretive organization within the Jedi, dedicated to stopping the Sith from rising again. 
following an attempted coup against the Jedi High Council and the death of their leaders in 3963, the Covenant was banned by the Jedi. Jelf, like other hardcore members, continued to pursue the Covenant's goals and fled from the Council, eventually being stranded on Kesh in 3963. After patching up his ship, Jelf realized there was a Sith presence on Kesh and devoted himself to stopping this iteration of the Sith from ever leaving the planet. The Lost Tribe of the Sith Sentinel, written by John Jackson Miller, published in 2011. Sentinel takes place immediately following the events of Purgatory in late 3960 and early 3959. Jelf follows Ori toward Tav and ponders the decisions that led him to crash on Kesh. He thinks back to his experiences as a child during the Great Sith War and how they made him want to stop the Sith at all cost. Meanwhile, Ori Katai found her mother Kandra in Tav and told her of Jelf's starship. Kandra was unconvinced that the ship would change their fortunes, but told Ori to contact four High Lords from the Red and Gold factions. Ori did so through a wealthy friend and then stole an unguarded lightsaber. Before she could go back to the farm, Jelf arrived in Tav and confronted Ori about the ship, the Jedi Covenant, and the Lost Tribe. Ori claimed that the Lost Tribe would one day dominate the galaxy, which is heartbreakingly naive, seeing as they haven't even left the continent of Keshtala in 1040 years. Jelf tells Ori that in the time since the Omen crashed, the Sith Empire was defeated and destroyed during the Great Hyperspace War and had since risen and been defeated again. As as far as we know, this is the first information that anyone on Kesh has received from the wider galaxy since 5000 BBY. After this, Jelf and Ori dueled briefly, but the Jedi admitted his true feelings and Katai broke off the fight. Regretfully, Ori noted that she had already informed the High Lords about an exciting discovery at Jelf's farmstead, and the two rushed back there together on a stolen Uvak. At Jelf's farm, Jelf slipped away to check the rest of the property while Ori was dismayed to find Grand Lord Luliaven and four bodyguards instead of the four High Lords. Kandra Katai had sold her daughter out to Ven in exchange for better work conditions. In a franchise with so many awful fathers, it's nice to meet a bad mom every once in a while. Grand Lord Ven left Ori in the hands of her bodyguards while she went to Jelf's stable to find the starship. The Grand Lord was ecstatic, believing she had found the key to escape the miserable world of Kesh, but her excitement was premature. Jelf had rigged the ship with a dozen grenades that would detonate if someone else tried to operate the ship. When Lilia made for the ship, Jelf used the force to levitate four blaster rifles and fire upon the bodyguards, giving Ori time to break away. Jelf then dove and pushed Ori into a nearby river as Lilia powered up the ship, triggering the failsafes. The thermal detonators exploded, detonating the ship's payload of missiles and the high-quality manure Jelf stored in the barn. As manure is an excellent accelerant, the starship's explosion was amplified, creating a mushroom cloud that could be seen all across Keshta. Because of this unprecedented sight, the event became known as the Night of the Upside-Down Meteor. Grand Lord Van and her bodyguards were instantly vaporized, as was the entire farm. Jelf and Ori only survived because they were underwater, waiting out the fireworks in the river. In the aftermath, Jelf and Ori escaped 
into the jungles and traveled for weeks so that no one could trace them. They eventually built a home in the jungles and started a new life away from the lost tribe, falling in love and growing old with one another. As a means of cutting all ties to his past, Jelf destroyed an off-world transmitter that could receive signals from outside Kesh. The last signal Jelf and Ori receive is a news report stating that the Jedi Civil War had begun following Revan's return to the galaxy. Lost Tribe of the Sith Pantheon, written by John Jackson Miller, published in 2011. Pantheon takes place in 3000 BBY, 960 years after the events of Sentinel. This represents the last massive time jump in the series, taking us from the beginning of the Jedi Civil War to more than 600 years after the end of SWOTOR. However, none of the ex- these external events affect our Lost Tribe because they are safely contained on Kesh after Jelf Marion's starship and all evidence of his off-world origins were destroyed in a massive explosion that was later dubbed the Night of the Upside-Down Meteor, which is a terrible, terrible name even by Star Wars standards. In the 960 years since, the Lost Tribe entered a steady period of decline known as the Time of Rot that was marked by infighting, assassinations, and intrigue. The Lost Tribe even began to split along ideological lines as some members proclaimed themselves anti-lords who acted in opposition to the sitting Grand Lord. Numerous small-scale civil wars ensued until the Lost Tribe was left with only a couple thousand members by 3,000 BBY. The only part of the Lost Tribe that remained untouched during the time of Rot was the position of Caretaker, which was established by Nita Corson and kept all right records of the tribe's history. For unknown reasons, the warring factions left the Caretakers and their small library untouched during the fighting. The only day that the factions stop fighting is Testament Day, which occurs every 25 years and is marked by a reading of Yaru Corson's Last Testament. By the time of Testament Day in 3000, many within the Lost Tribe had grown tired of the millennia of infighting and sought to appoint a new Grand Lord who would mediate between the factions. Shortly before Testament Day, the Sisters of Sela, one of the tribe's many factions, approached Varner Hills, the lead caretaker, about falsifying the tribe's history. Being an honorable antiquarian, Varner Hiltz refused. The Sisters of Sela wanted Sela Corson's name restored to a place of honor and took Hiltz and his Kashuri assistant, J. Vold, hostage to get the desired changes. Other factions within the Lost Tribe, like Golden Destiny and Force 57, noticed that Hiltz had been taken hostage and they banded together to oppose the Sisters of Sela. Heltz was able to stave off a massive battle in the city of Tav when he declared Testament Day earlier than expected due to days on Kesh being one second shorter than Galactic Standard, resulting in the tribe's calendar being off by eight days. The factions respected the decision and all members of the Lost Tribe on Keshta assembled to hear the reading of Yaru Korsen's Testament. However, all those in attendance were shocked when the holocron played an earlier recording by mistake. The recording was from 5000 BBY and showed Nada Sadao ordering Yaru Korsen to mine Lingan ore before the omen crashed on Kesh. The holocron played additional logs that revealed most of the Lost Tribe's history was based on lies. For the first time, members of the Lost Tribe learned that their predecessors weren't the conquerors of Kesh but were slaves in the Sith Empire who had crashed there by total coincidence. 
They learned of the genocide of the Beer Blood Sith, engineered by Sela Corson and covered up by Yaru himself. These revelations shook the Lost Tribe to its core as it openly undermined much of the mythology that their society was built upon. The Sith attempted to keep the Kashari and other slaves from finding out, but word got out and the slaves learned that their masters were conquerors but actually lost, former slaves of off-worlders. This led to eight days of rioting across Kesta, later known as the Great Crisis. Toph descended into chaos as fires burned and buildings were ransacked, leaving hundreds dead and causing damage to the city's crumbling infrastructure. In order to prevent the Lost Tribe from totally consuming itself, Varner Hiltz and J. Vold sought the location of the Omen's crash site under the long-deserted mountainside Sith Temple to find Yarrow Corson's true vision for the Sith. The Lost Tribe of the Sith Secrets, written by John Jackson Miller, published in 2012. Secrets picks up moments after Pantheon's end, still in the year 3000 BBY. As the Lost Tribe descended into an orgy of violence and death, Varner Hiltz and Jay Vold ascended the mountain overlooking Tav. On the way, they found Ileana Mirko, the former leader of the Sisters of Sila, who had taken them hostage in the first place. Mirko was broken by the revelations of the Lost Tribe's true history, but was convinced by Hiltz to find their true origins at the Omen's crash site. After locating the Omen, the trio was joined by former enemies who had been convinced by the Great Crisis to come together and destroy any trace of their true and glorious past. The group worked to discover lost traces that Hiltz and others believed had been left as breadcrumb breadcrumb clues by Yaru Corson almost 2,000 years before. These breadcrumbs would supposedly lead them to Corson's true throne room and reveal even more secrets about the lost tribe. After finding a recording from Yaru's mother on the Omen, the group moved above, moved above into the old Sith Temple, which Nita Corson had closed in 4975. Within, they split up to cover more ground. Eventually, uh, eventually Kay and Varner located Yaru's hidden throne room above the Sith Temple, but were confronted by the other Sith. In a fit of rage, the group killed Jay Vold, believing he was protecting more secrets. However, before they could take their rage out on Hilts, the caretaker discovered Yaru Corson's true secret. On the walls of the throne room was a, on the walls of the throne room was a map of Keshta, the island continent where the omen crashed. Hilts hit a switch, causing wall panels to move and reveal a second map of the much larger island continent, Alonciar. Hiltz used the shocking discovery to unite the leaders of the Sith faction behind a new cause of rebuilding Keshta and traveling the vast ocean to Alonciar. Using this info, the Lost Tribe was able to stop the Great Crisis and begin rebuilding. The Lost Tribe of the Sith, Pandemonium, written by John Jackson Miller, published in 2012. Pandemonium is meant to wrap up wrap up most of the loose ends floating around the Lost Tribe storyline. Pandemonium is much longer than the first eight Lost Tribe ebooks, coming in at 128 pages, while the others were usually about 30 pages long. Pandemonium was included in the Lost Tribe Collected Stories, which gathered all the Lost Tribe ebooks together in one volume. And Pandemonium takes place in 2975 BBY, 25 years after the events of Secrets. Following Varner Hilt's discovery, 
of Yarukorsin's secret throne room and the existence of Alenciar in 3000, the Lost Tribe rallied together to avoid extinction. After nearly a thousand years of civil war, the time of rot ended and the Hilt's restoration began. The Lost Tribe elected Varner Hiltz as the new Grand Lord, and he set about remaking Lost Tribe society into something more lasting. Grand Lord Hiltz then married Ileana Mirko to protect her from the other faction leaders, and the two eventually had a child named Takara together. But Hiltz also married Ileana to have a solid ally who shared his vision for rebuilding the Lost Tribe. This vision included restoring Tav to the glory it had during the reign of Nida Corson, smoothing over relations with the Kashiri, and, above all else, finding a way to Alansiar. The Lost Tribe fully renovated Tav and Hiltz allowed Force-sensitive Kashiri to leave slavery and enter the ranks of the Sith. By 2975, Hiltz had amassed a large and loyal group of Kashiri supporters and the Sith. However, the goal of Alansia remained elusive. Uvak flights proved unsuccessful as the oceans were too vast to safely navigate on the backs of flying beasts. The Sith attempted to build boats, but the wood on Kesta was unsuitable for aquatic travel. Advanced flight by aircraft was impossible, both because of Kesha's weird electromagnetism, but also because Kesha had no metallic ore of any kind to build planes. Finally, in 2975, a Sith scientist named Adele Vry succeeded in bringing air travel to Kesh by inventing the hot air balloon. That's right. After more than 2,000 years, the Lost Tribe invented the dirigible. Uh, we're joking, but the only complex machines that, event that exist on Keshta are the ancient lightsabers that the, the Sith still use. They've been repaired and maintained over the years, but that's it. The omen uh, was scrapped for anything useful years ago and now sits deep underground while Jelf Marion's starship was blown to all hell a millennium in the past. But the Lost Tribe assumed the assumed that Keshta was the only inhabited continent on Kesh, and that assumption was woefully incorrect. 2,000 years before, in 4975, Adari Val and her Kashiri resistance group fled Keshta for Alansiar on their Uvoks after their fa failed coup against the Lost Tribe. Of the 1,000 resistance members who set out, only 300 arrived safely, but the survivors set about building a society that was prepared to defend against the inevitable Sith invasion. To this end, the Alansiari have a military government led by a cabal of our officers known as the War Cabinet, and their entire society is geared towards repelling a Sith invasion. Unbeknownst to Val and the other survivors, Nita Corson and the Lost Tribe were too busy to worry about the fleeing Kashiri resistance in the wake of Yaru Corson's death and Sela Corson's attempted palace coup. Indeed, all knowledge of uh, of Adiri Val and the Kashiri resistance faded from the Lost Tribe's collective memory, and their attempted servile rebellion and subsequent flight weren't even recorded in historical records. But the Kashiri on Alansiar didn't know that, and they were prepared to withstand a massive military invasion in 2975. They also had advantages in that Alansiar held enough ore and resources to build a standing military. They had they had forts dotting the coast and a navy of sailing vessels, as well as internal infrastructure that allowed for communications via signal relay. They also used force-sensitive individuals, known as thought criers, to communicate over vast distances via the force. 
Conveniently, the Lost Tribe also developed their own thought criers by this time. The Lost Tribe airships that traveled to Alansiar had no idea what awaited them as only four airships and some Uvac made the trip. However, when the Lost Tribe was spotted off the coast, Adari Val's descendants did their job admirably. Alansiari, Ballista, and Uvac soldiers decimated the airships and killed more than 80% of all Lost Tribe forces. At the moment before their small invasion force was destroyed, Adele Vry's thought crier sent a message to Eliana Heltzny Mirko, alerting her that something was very wrong. Though most of the Lost Tribe forces were killed in the fighting, a handful managed to live through the ordeal and push back against the Alansiari. Adele Vry and the other Sith survivors succeeded in acquiring much-needed intel after capturing a Kashiri sailing ship, a history book originally written by Adari Val that was reprinted for thousands of years, and two Kashiri soldiers named Jogan Halder and Quora Thane. Vry coerced Thane into serving as a guide to perform recon on the interior of Alansiar by threatening the life of her lover, Jogan Halder. Meanwhile, Back on Keshta, word of the Alansiari attack had filtered down from the royal palace to the lords. A rogue high lord named Corson Bentado acted upon this information and mustered an invasion force of 60 jet black airships known collectively as the Ebon Fleet. The Ebon Fleet set off at once, but they were acting on partial intel from the Thoughtcrier message, unaware of the superior Alansiari defenses. By the time the Ebon fleet departed, the Sith survivors of the first attack had used the Alansiari sailing vessel to return to Keshta with Jogan Halter as their prisoner. They warned Grand Lord Hiltz of the military that awaited the Lost Tribe on Alansiar. Hiltz chose to sit on the information, however, as he viewed Corsin Bentado as a rival for power and was thus willing to sacrifice the High Lord and his fleet. Hiltz then read up on Adari Val's history book, gaining invaluable insight into his enemies, including their hatred of humans and Sith, and their lingering adherence to the old protectors and destructors, pantheon of gods. On Alansiar, Cora Thane leads Adele Vrai on an extended scouting mission that takes them all over the island continent. Vry attempted to convince Thane to join the Lost Tribe, but she refused due to years of being taught about the evils of the Sith. During their travels, the duo visited Alanciari's capital, Susmentri, and watched from afar as Corson Mentado's Ebon Fleet came over the horizon. Much like Vry's expeditionary force, the Ebon Fleet was obliterated before making landfall. Alansiari, Ballista, and Uvox destroyed all 60 airships in a matter of minutes. Though his forces were dashed, Bentado and a small group survived and were able to reach the shore of Alansiar unnoticed. From there, they made their way toward Susmentri, still attempting to overthrow Alansiari leadership and conquer the island. Bentado and his allies were able to infiltrate the capital and capture the main signal relay tower that sent messages to other signal relay towers across the island. They then went to the War Cabinet headquarters and slaughtered the entire War Cabinet, which meant that the highly centralized and regimented Alansiari society would be unable to function. 
However, none of the Alontiari or surviving Lost Tribe members were aware because Corson Bentado and the soldiers controlled the signal relay system. From this position, the from this position, Bentado could direct the Alontiari military to whatever ends he chose. Back on Keshta, Hiltz and other Lost Tribe leaders decided to trick Jogan Holder into believing that the Lost Tribe society was a paradise. They would then use him as an ambassador to the Alansiari in hopes of conquering them from the inside out. The Sith withdrew from public view and threw a massive celebration in Tav, where Grand Lord Hiltz Kashari supporters pretended to while away their time in revelry and leisure instead of servitude. This was in stark contrast to the militarized conservative lives of the Kashiri on Alansiar. Finally, Hiltz used the old history text to play on Halter's religiosity by tricking him into believing that they were actually the protectors of old. However, they also simultaneously played on the Alansiari veneration of Adarival, saying that she had been right to fear the destructors who secretly lived amongst the Sith at the time. Thanks to Val, the Sith protectors were alerted to the destructors in their midst, all of whom were found and executed the day after Val fled Keshta. This meant that, while still honorable, Adari Val's military prep and the Alansiari militaristic society were all based upon a big misunderstanding. Hiltz claimed that the protectors and Kashiri had been living in a paradise on Keshta since that time, as evidenced by the ongoing celebrations by the Kashiri. Halder, who disliked the militaristic Alansiari lifestyle, was so taken in by the Lost Tribe's trickery that he heartily agreed to be an ambassador for the Sith on Alansiar. Jogan Halder then joined Varner Hiltz, Ilana Hiltz, and other members of the Lost Tribe on an airship that they set out for Alansiar. The invasion force followed close behind. While all this pomp and circumstance was happening on Keshta, the situation on Alanziar was rapidly deteriorating. By now, the word was out that the war cabinet had been murdered by Sith assassins and that some sort of coup was in progress. Corson Bentado and his Sith allies had seized some control, but the Alansiari began openly opposing the invaders with both Quara Thane and Adel Varai rallying supporters. Though a coup had been the Lost Tribe's plan all along, Bentado's rash violence allowed Varai to play the good cop and denounce this as a group of rogue Sith. Bentado intended to consolidate power and create a second tribe on Alansiar, using its existing military-industrial complex to conquer Keshta and rule the whole of Kesh. However, Bentado was undone when Susmitri rose in revolt against him and the other Sith usurpers. During a chase that led across the capital city, Bentado's allies were killed and Corson was left with only his Kashiri servant squad. After a, de- after a duel, Bentado was cornered by his pursuers and then executed by Squab, who revealed that he had been secretly loyal to Hiltz the whole time. Varai then took control of the situation and was able to claim tension and was able to calm tensions long enough for Grand Lord Hiltz to arrive via airship. With their government in ruins, the Alansiari gathered in Susmitri and listened as Jogan Holder acted as the Lost Tribe's ambassador. 
Halter testified to all that he had seen in Keshta. He told his people of the Kashiri living splendid lives of leisure under the benevolent oversight of their Sith protectors. Varner Hilt then appeared to the assembled masses, disguised as a minion of an ancient Kashiri god. Hilt proceeded to tell the Alansiari the same tastefully edited version of history that he had tricked Halder with back on Keshta. Hilt claimed that Adari Val was a servant of the Protectors, albeit a slightly misguided one, since the Destructors had been purged 2,000 years before. Hilt promised to repair all the damage caused by Corson Bentado and stated that aid workers would soon be arriving from Keshta to aid the beleaguered Alansiari. Despite years of indoctrination against the Lost Tribe, the Alansiari were convinced that it had been based upon a huge misunderstanding. After all, they had seen Adele Vry's bravery in leading the resistance to Bentado's attempted coup. They had heard eyewitness testimony of the Lost Tribe's true nature from Jogan Halder, an Alansiari soldier who had seen their benevolence with his own eyes. Was it so hard to believe that a militaristic band of rogue Sith had acted out and attempted an invasion? Besides, the coup was defeated by the combined effort of Lost Tribe members and Alansiari. Taken together, it was a very convincing story, and one that the Alansiari were ready to accept since their government was in ruins and their capital was in flames. The only Alansiari who was unconvinced was Cora Thane, though she kept her reservation secret for fear of reprisals against her children. So it was that the Alansiari people accepted Sith rule by universal acclamation, and what began as an invasion of conquest turned into a fait accompli. The Lost Tribe took control of Alansiar and united with Keshta under their rule, fulfilling Varner Hilt's lifelong ambition and his final promise to the Lost Tribe. After 25 years, the Hilt's restoration was complete and the Sith ruled all of Kesh, or so they thought. That's right. One more story left to tell. The Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral, written by John Jackson Miller and published in 2012. Spiral takes place months after the events of Pandemonium in 2974 BBY. Unlike the other nine Lost Tribe stories, which were all released as ebooks, Spiral is a five issue comic arc. It is meant to conclude the Lost Tribe story in the Old Republic and tell how they consolidated power across all of Kesh. After this, the Lost Tribe goes completely dark and they don't reappear in the Legends timeline until 41 ABY. Spiral introduces Eshkreen, another island continent, and the Doomed, another remote group of people, retconning them into the history of Kesh. Of course, we've already introduced both earlier in the episode when we did the location profile on Kesh. Months after the events, months after the end of Pandemonium, the Lost Tribe has largely completed the conquest of Alansiar. Alansiari society was demilitarized under the guise of peace, but it was actually meant to keep them from rising up against the Sith. Varner Hiltz badly wanted his legacy to be one of the Alansiari willingly joining the Lost Tribe instead of subjugating the Alansiari via bloody conquest. In order to keep up the pretenses of benevolence, many of the slaves were freed from generational slavery, though it was still practiced as a form of punishment. Though the non-Sith were technically free, most still lived in abject squalor and transitioned to lives of serfdom wherein they were forced to work grueling hours and were beaten if they didn't meet work quotas. 
The Sith also retained their caste system, and many upper crust Sith took to terrorizing their serfs and even random human and Kashiri citizens. So even though things got a little better for the lower classes because they were no longer considered chattel slaves, they were still oppressed peasants doing backbreaking labor. Varner Hiltz also created a new testament of the lost tribe to replace Yaru Corson's older version. The update went much further than a sanitized history of the lost tribe. It also included new laws and came to be the constitution of sorts for the people of Kesh. It further codified the Lost Tribe's stridently hierarchical caste system with human Sith at the top and everyone else below them. The New Testament played up Yaru Corson's lineage as he was descended from a lesser house of nobility from the Tapani sector. As was the custom, the only humans could read the Testament while Kashiri were only ever shown a heavily edited version. For his loyal service and admirable conduct, Adele Vry was named the governor of Alansiar. Taking control of Alantier's timber allowed the Lost Tribe to construct a formidable navy of sailing vessels, which became the primary method of long-range transport since the airships were dangerous. With a navy, the Grand Lord Hiltz was able to send out explorers in all directions to determine if any other land was present on Kesh. One of those ships headed far to the south, spotting the shores of the island continent of Eshkreen, before returning to report the find. The Lost Tribe also began altering Alanciari society via massive propaganda efforts, slowly rewriting Adari Val's history and using Ambassador Jogan Halder to travel around and tell of Sith benevolence. These efforts seemed to work as the Alanciari accepted and revered the Lost Tribe. However, not everyone was happy with the Lost Tribe's rule. Quera Thane broke off her romance with Jogan Halder over his support of the Sith and returned to her family, which remained unaware of her affair. Likewise, a Kashiri man named Parlan Spinner led a small but growing resistance group named Spinner's Web that committed acts of defiance and violence against Sith leadership. Spinner was bitter at the Sith for enslaving and tormenting his family over the centuries. Spinner's Web was based out of Irom, a city on Keshta that was particularly brutalized by its Sith overlords. For years, Grand Lord Hiltz and his daughter Takara Hiltz had been attempting to apprehend Spinner, but were unsuccessful. That was all about to change, however. In 2974, following the successful conquest of Alanciar, Varner Hiltz prepared to oversee a festival celebrating the Lost Tribe's arrival on Kesh. Earlier in the year, Takara Hiltz was able to flip one of the members of Spinner's web into an informant. Takara had worked her way up to the chief of Tab police after her, father, after her father insisted she earn her way through society instead of relying on her last name. The informant told Takara that Spinner planned to attack the Grand Lord at the upcoming celebration. Knowing this, Takara and Varner Hiltz laid a trap. During the festival, Grand Lord Hiltz was seemingly left unprotected and Parlin Spinner took the bait attempting an assassination. Just then, Takara Hiltz sprang forth to foil Spinner's attempt on her father's life. Though Spinner's sentence, though Spinner's sentence was death, Grand Lord Hiltz elected to spare the young, young man's life after sensing his great force potential. So it was that Parlin Spinner was assigned to a voyage from Alanciar to explore the frozen con- island continent of Eshkreen. Takara Hiltz concealed her identity and stowed away on the ship as she had grown bored of her life as a constable and tired of living in her dad's shadow. 
Varnerhiltz had long theorized that other peoples had visited Kesh before the Lost Tribe and believed that this newly discovered landmass could be the location of those lost people. He supposed that some other off-world visitors had arrived on Kesh at some point in the distant past and became the basis for the protectors and destructors myths of the Kashiri. He further supposed that this other group had been living on Eshkreem for thousands of years. Little did he know he was right. Despite the disguise, Takara was recognized by Parlin Spinner, though he didn't rat her out to the captain or her father. During the voyage, Takara Hiltz and Parlin Spinner struck up something of a begrudging friendship. When the Sith ship landed, Parlin and Takara immediately attempted to flee. Parlin still wanted revenge against the Sith, while Takara just wanted an adventure. The duo were pursued by the ship's captain and crew, who intended to execute both stowaways. But the Doomed had other ideas, killing the captain and some crew, and taking the rest captive to their capital, known as the City of the Doomed. There, the Lost Tribe learned the history of the Doomed, which were confirmed, which confirmed many of Varner Hilt's theories about Kesh. In 6900 BBY, nice, the Dark Jedi were exiled following the end of the Hundred Years' Darkness at the Battle of Corbos. These Dark Jedi settled on Korriban and formed the Sith Empire, but some of them wanted revenge against the Jedi immediately. This group, led by a Sith Lord named Remulus Drepa, departed Korriban and subsequently chased a ship of Jedi across the galaxy until both ships crashed on Kesh. There, on the island continent Keshta, the Jedi and Sith clashed in an epic battle that devastated much of the land and killed many native Kashiri. As the battle raged on, both sides grew weary of the destruction and the Sith under Drepa mutinied to stop the fighting. They locked Remulus Drepa in a stasis casket known as an Obliette and then made peace with the Jedi. They buried the only hyperspace-capable starship under the city of Tav and departed for Eskreen to find true balance in the Force and guard Drepa's Obliette. The crash and subsequent battle became known as the Great Calamity and many years later became the basis for the Kasharia pantheon of protector and destructor gods. For nearly 4,000 years, the doomed lived on Ishkreen in splendid isolation, keeping watch on the rest of Kesh using ice mirrors powered by the Force. They're like a much colder and sillier version of the Palantir Seeing Stones from Lord of the Rings. Whereas the Lost Tribe was made up solely of humans in Kashiri, the Doomed was much more varied with members from various species like Ithorians, Wookiees, Chagrins, Twi'lek, and more. Don't ask us how all those species survived for almost 4,000 years without procreating together and producing hybrid offspring because we don't know either. Takara like Takara liked this new society and became fast friends with the doomed leader, Kaliska, but Parlin was still looking for revenge. After being jailed for repeatedly asking to see Romulus Drepa, Spinner freed himself and others from prison and set out to locate the Abolet. Parlin Spinner believed that he could free Drepa and use this powerful Sith Lord to take vengeance against the Lost Tribe. To that end, Spinner unlocked the Abolet, once again unleashing Remulus Drapa on Kesh after nearly 4,000 years. They captured Takara Hiltz and Kaliska to use as leverage against the Lost Tribe and Doomed, and they stole a ship sailing to Keshta and the port city of Eorm. Though most Sith are fearsome, Remulus Drapa's power was nearly unmatched, and his goal was to escape Kesh and take revenge against the Jedi. 
Spinner wanted an ally, but he unknowingly unleashed a weapon. Romulus Strapo, for his part, didn't miss a beat. He woke up after spending four millennia in a stasis casket and was immediately ready to kill Jedi. That level of spite is somewhat admirable, if totally unhealthy. At the port of Erom, Drapa instigated a rebellion by the Kasuri and human slaves against their Sith overlords. In the confusion, Takara and Kaliska escaped and rode stolen Uvax back to Iskreen to rally the doomed. Drapa and Spinner led their newly freed slaves toward Tav, but were defeated in open battle by the Lost Tribe military led by Leana Hiltz. After the loss, Drepa, Spinner, and their forces retreated to Keshta Volcano, where Drepa used the dark side to resurrect several massive leviathans. Remulus planned to use these huge reptilian Sith spawn creatures to drain the life and force energies from his foes. It was at this point that Parlin Spinner realized he had made a huge mistake. The leviathans were larger than starships and made quick work of the Lost Tribe military and the doomed, who had used stolen Uvax to cover the oceans. In minutes, thousands lay dead, but Takara was able to rescue her mother and Kaliska from the devastation. From there, they fled to Tav, intending to destroy the starship hidden below the city to deny Drapa the chance to leave the planet. Spinner and many of the slaves defected from Drapa after seeing the carnage wrought by his leviathans. The groups all descended on Tav simultaneously, with Spinner joining his forces with the remaining Lost Tribe military to defend against Drapa's attack. During the fighting, Kaliska was killed and Takara was captured, but Drepa was rebuffed. Instead, Parlin Spinner stole the ship and took it for a brief joyride before Remulus Drepa threatened to kill Takara. During these adventures, Takara and Parlin had developed feelings for one another, and Spinner decided to put the ship to good use. He killed the Leviathans before turning the ship into a projectile and flying it directly into Remulus Drepa, killing the Sith Lord instantly. Takara and Parlin survived the crash by jumping into a large body of water and celebrated Drapa's defeat with a celebratory kiss. In the aftermath, Takara and Parlin started a relationship and a new life together on Keshta. Parlin was admitted as a full member of the Lost Tribe and became the Grand Lord's Hand. With their chances to flee Kesh destroyed, the Lost Tribe rebuilt Tav and incorporated Eshkreen into the planet-wide empire. Through this, Varner Hilt's consolidated power across Keshta, Alanciar, and Eshkreen, becoming the sole ruler of Kesh in the process. Following the events of Spiral, the Lost Tribe would rule all of Kesh for another 3,015 years until 41 ABY, when they were rescued by the dark side entity Abeloth and a sentient starship helpfully named Ship. But all that but all that is way beyond our purview because the Lost Tribe of the Sith story in the Old Republic ends in 2974 with the events of Spiral. With that, Series 8 comes to an end and we got all the Lost Tribe content squeezed into one episode. For our ninth and final series in the Old Republic narrative, we will rejoin the events of the wider galaxy. Series 9 will cover the new Sith Wars, the rise of Darth Bane's rule of two, rule of two and the final sad demise of the Old Republic. However, Episode 9 will be all meta info because there's so much meta that has to be introduced when discussing the new Sith Wars. It's an entire thousand-year conflict created solely to retcon the contradictory bits of dialogue that appear in A New Hope and prequels with regards to the Age of the Republic and the Jedi Order. To understand this, we're going to get into the history of the Star Wars Expanded Universe, look at the development of the prequels, and try to find out what George Lucas really thought 
the expanded universe. Spoiler alert, he appears to have been perfectly fine with it, but probably viewed it differently than we do. And with that, thank you for listening to this episode of A People's History of the Old Republic. Next time, we introduce our ninth and final series on the New Sith Wars. You can follow us on Twitter at Photorpod or email us at photorpodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions and comments and we will answer them on the show. I'm at AthertonKD on Twitter. And I'm at Luke is Amazing on Twitter. Thank you again. May the Force be with you.